1: Hey everybody, welcome back to the show, Confessions of a Creative Director, the number one podcast for creative directors, made by a creative director, for creative directors, for people aspiring to be creative directors, and uh, anybody in between. Uh, I don't know if we're the number one podcast for creative directors, but we should be, shouldn't we? Uh, So you can help with that. That would be really cool. Subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends about it. Uh, leave us a positive review so that we can get some more listeners you know I always say that part about you know for those people who want to be creative directors well I've got a story for you if you're one of those people that's trying to figure out how do I get move over from the account services department over into creative because I know I'm a creative at heart how do I do that uh, today is a master class uh, and that my, my uh, special guest for today did just that and went from being a lowly account services person, doing probably some really mundane work, all the way to helping write a Super Bowl spot. Man, talk about, uh, talk about a, uh, a rise, right? That's, uh, that's really amazing. And of course, I'm talking about my special guest chelsea o'brien she's creative director at a really cool independent shop called omelet here in la so without further ado let's talk to chelsea and she happens to be in mexico city during this uh, so it's our first international show so without further ado chelsea o'brien chelsea o'brien i wanted i wanted to do it like 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 conan I'm sure you probably get that kind of thing all the time. How are you? Oh,
0: Uncle Conan. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I actually used to tell people Conan was my uncle and they believed me. I used to have Uncle Conan in my phone and it was my friend Alex. And if ever anyone didn't believe me, we had a whole deal that I'd call and I'd just say, Uncle Conan. And he'd do his best Conan O'Brien.
1: That's awesome. Well, you are your own person, Chelsea O'Brien. Thank you for joining the podcast. And I got to say that this is the first, very first, international episode of Confessions of a Creative Director. You are in Mexico City right now. I am so jealous. Uh, to, make, to make it even more uh, kind of enviable, you are staying at the Four Seasons. Or maybe I shouldn't disclose your location. If your coworkers are listening, they think that you're like slumming it somewhere.
0: No, no, my coworkers know full and well where I am, and they make sure I hear how jealous and annoyed they are every single day.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. But, yeah. Tell us what you tell us what you're doing there.
0: Uh, I'm hanging out. Actually, I'm I'm mooching off of my fiance. He uh, is here on a commercial production. He works in the biz as well, just on the production side, and we are still very much so remote work at Omelet, and so I am coming down here and dialing into all my Google meets and zooms from the hotel room.
1: That's very cool. Yeah. And I, I hope you're able to sneak out and enjoy some of the, uh, some of the culture. So I hope you're getting out a little bit, maybe going to some uh, some bars and having some good tequila uh, and, and uh, wine or whatever it is that you're into. I hope you're uh, doing that.
0: Definitely both. Actually, we've been getting good tequila, good wine, good mezcal in the evenings Good uh, museums in the morning to make me feel like I'm at least doing something cultural and other than yeah. drinking, right. which is very cultural here, I'm learning.
1: Yes, it is. I think that's probably the best way to learn about uh, people, a culture, is, is through their, their drinks. And speaking of which, as is tradition on the show, um, why don't you tell everybody what, what uh, you're drinking today?
0: Absolutely. Well, in honor of being in Mexico City, I'm drinking a Mexican wine. I actually have a bottle here. This was a lovely bottle I was able to pick up and keep in the room. It's a Cabernet Merlot Petite Sirah and Barbera blend from the Baja Peninsula. And uh, it is quite lovely. Uh, and I'm a big wino, so I'm good to drink wine any day. Although I wish I was drinking mezcal. I know you love tequila. So
1: I do. Uh,
0: I have okay. to go with mine, though, to stay true to my roots.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk about that. That's one of your that's one of your loves. So give us give us the sommelier sort of tasty notes uh, well, uh, combine that with you know you being a creative director. I'm sure you can add some. I always I always make yeah. the joke like, oh, it tastes it tastes arrogant yet thoughtful. You know, I always add some some funny words. But describe this wine it. to yeah. us.
0: All right, this is the kind of wine. Oh, it's it's big and bold. It's the kind of wine that likes to argue with the Uber driver over how <laughs> high the windows are up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's got a great sense of humor. So you know. A nice little palate cleanser there. <laughs> I'm not the worst person in the world.
1: I love it. I love it. Well, I'm drinking a uh, michelada. So in, in honor of your um, of your presence there, Mexico, it's, it's, I love this drink anyway. I, I usually am drinking this or a tequila soda uh, with lime and salt. Um, so anyway, cheers. Yeah. Thanks again for being uh, on the show.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk to you. Um, tell us a little bit about um sort of your career trajectory. I I've, you know, I did my did my research. It seems like a pretty interesting um sort of um uh, progression and, and I and I love the story of how you broke into the business. And I think a lot of people aren't able to make that the kind of move that that you made. But tell us a little bit about how you started, how you ended up at Omelette. Tell us a little bit about Omelette. Give us the whole the whole spiel.
0: The whole picture? All right, I'll give you the TLDR version and then you can tell me where you want to go into more depth. <laughs> um, yeah, so I started out at an agency in Los Angeles called David and Goliath. Uh, my first job straight out of undergraduate. I actually did not go to portfolio school. Uh, Thought about it, but I was way too excited to get into advertising that I thought, hey, I'm going to sneak in the back door uh, and start in account services. Um, So I began there. uh, No joke. I wrote on my resume, like my objective statement said, like, I want to become an account coordinator with future aspirations to be a copywriter. And I think if I were any account director and that came across my desk, I probably would have thrown it in the trash. Um, But for whatever reason, they were like, hey, why not? She seems to be really interested. I flew myself across the country for the interview. I was very dedicated to getting the job and uh, very quickly was able to get hired in just after undergrad uh, as an account coordinator on Kia Motors in the dealer marketing group, uh, which was as glamorous as it sounds. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. uh, My first my first job essentially the entire year was. Um essentially filling running footage requests, which I learned quickly were just the shots of the car like driving through the pines and driving through the snow, uh, that various dealerships would put in via fax, uh, which is so kooky. I would have to go over to the printer like four times a day, like, a oh, new fax comes in, you know, from Kia of Hawaii or Kia of uh Kansas City, pull it off, have uh some of the guys downstairs in our post house make a tape that we would physically ship overnight to them and they would have their footage to make their uh, like local car commercials. It was a huge chunk of what I did. Um, But on the other side of things, I got to do a lot of really like hands-on learning because no one really cared as much about regional. And so, and when I say no one cared as much, I mean like, there was just so much going on with trying to run a national car brand that, you know, the creative team, they're focused on selling through the Super Bowl spot and working on like the big, campaigns that when it came down to, Hey, can you tag this spot with 0% APR financing and have your voiceover guy just come in and do that quick. I just sort of started taking the lead on all those things. And very quickly was able to learn kind of the holistic side of advertising just in that one small role.
1: Yeah, that's great. There are no, there are no small roles in acting or in, in, uh, Mm -hmm. advertising. I I've, I've come to learn. Okay, cool. All right. And then,
0: and then, yeah, so I, I saw my first chance at taking a stab at copywriting, and that was when um, a guy named John Battle, who I'm happy to mention because he is a longtime friend and mentor of mine, came in uh, at the ACD level. And he and I got to talking at a party one night. Got to love a little bit of of this stuff, the wine and the glass. Yeah, Nothing like that to give you a little liquid courage. And I told right. him just how much I wanted to be a copywriter. Uh, and, you know, this man is probably like six foot four, towering tall man. And here I am, a 22-year-old. I'm only like five three, unassuming girl. I was like, I would like to be a copywriter. And he was like, well, you know what? I used to be in account services too, and I made the transition. Uh, and he said, if you're serious about it, come to my desk on Monday morning. We'll talk. Wow. No joke. I walked into his desk on Monday morning, and he was like, what? he completely forgotten everything. Oh my I said. God. Oh my God. Josh's <laughs> memory. And he was like, okay, if you're serious, then we'll, we'll find briefs to slide your way. And, uh, I basically, so with about six months into working at DNG, I was working double duty. I like to say I rolled my office chair over to the creative department side at 5 PM. Uh, I don't know if it was really that ceremonious, but I've said it that way so many times now I believe it's true.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh,
0: But I started working on a lot of different pitches. I helped them win the California lottery account. I helped them win the Carls Jr. account. And finally, after about six months of that, they said, you know what? Let's make this official. And they handed me a MacBook in place of my
1: PC. That's the big (laughs) that's that's when you know you've made it, right? When you make the switch from a from a crappy PC to a MacBook, you're like, ah I've arrived.
0: there's a lighter computer and a heavier salary. And I was like, this is amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 And did, did, did did any of the, uh, folks that you were leaving behind sort of give you a sideways glance or anything like, Uh, I think, or give you any shit?
0: Not really. I, you know, the kind of playful shit of, you know, like the jokes probably didn't stop for the, you know, three weeks. Oh, Chelsea's leaving us. I guess we have to replace her um but you know what like they were able to find a great person to fill the role it just you know for a little bit I was there to help with the transition and I was happy to help with the transition because honestly the first three weeks I just stared at an empty word doc and waited for someone to tell me to do
1: something right 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 yeah so okay so then uh from David and Goliath which by the way is incredible uh shop where did you go to next uh,
0: from d and I went over to Crispin, to CPB LA shop, um, which was such an awesome thing for me. I had, you know, at the time, so this was 2012, um, Crispin was definitely like on the decline, was kind of past its prime, but still a very reputable shop. But, you know, I had grown up just admiring Crispin and everything they'd done. And just, you know, I remember seeing Bogusky on the cover of Fast Company uh, when I was in college and thinking, Oh my God, I need to work for this man. Um, and when the LA shop opened, it was this beautiful opportunity because, you know, it had the, you know, the ability to be a big shop owned by a holding company like MDC partners, but also ran itself kind of like a small shop. We felt very yeah. independent and we had a lot of great opportunities. So I went over there primarily worked, uh, in the beginning on the old Navy and Grey Coupon accounts and, uh, well, Navy was awesome because I was lacking production experience when I came over. You know, I was a brand new mid-level, junior mid-level copywriter that had done one TV commercial at David and Goliath. And I got into the old Navy churn and oh my God, I learned so quickly on the fly. I probably wrote, I don't know, I'm guessing somewhere between like eight and 10 scripts a day wow. uh, for every campaign. And it was just like this, no, this, no, this, no. And like to the point where we were, sometimes we were writing scripts on set because we're trying to secure deals with 90s pop celebrities. And, you know, those things don't always go according to plan. So I learned very much so on the fly, got to participate in a ton of great broadcast productions, really learned a lot. You know, it wasn't the most groundbreaking creative (laughs) that I've done Um, but it was definitely a great learning experience and then you know every other opportunity there though was where we got to make the
1: the cool stuff
0: the the PR stuff the award-winning stuff Um, yeah I was there for almost six years.
1: And during that time if I understand this correctly you also worked on a Super Bowl campaign.
0: I did indeed yeah so I often chop Crispin in my mind into like sort of like three eras that I was there. Cause as you probably know, well, like no shop really lives for more than two years before it starts to become something else (laughs) just with client turnover and people turnover and whatnot. So uh, yeah, I was part of a pitch to bring in the uh, PayPal account to Crispin uh, under the leadership of Robin Fitzgerald. Amazing, amazing woman, mentor, have to give her a shout out. Um, And when we brought in the PayPal account, it was the, the, be- the beautiful thing about it, it was like the first time we got to really build a brand from the ground up because PayPal was a really known entity but only in a very small finite way. Everyone thought of it as the way you checked out on eBay um, and right. it, didn't, it didn't really have the clout that it does t- to this day. And I think people sometimes don't even know to this day that PayPal owns Venmo and is very much so a major e-commerce platform and helps the world go round. Uh, and so we were able to kind of shed some light on that. And we created a global campaign and a tagline uh, PayPal is new money and really tried to come like go against um, the old financial system and the ways people were being underserved by it. So that led to a big brand anthem that we were able to film in South Africa and put on the you know world's biggest stage in the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, Matt Lauer hated it. But you know what? After uh, things that went down with Matt Lauer, I don't feel so yeah. bad
1: about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Matt who, yeah, Matt, who? that's cool. That's pretty cool. I mean, you know, not a lot of people can say that they've that they've worked on a Super Bowl campaign, so that's that's awesome. Okay, then, what was the next? What was the next step?
0: It feels like a saga. My goodness. I know. Uh, yes. So uh, from there, uh, so uh, Crispin's L.A. office, you know, sort of went through a few identity crises. And, you know, towards the end there, it was clear my partner and I were like, I think it's time to make a move. Um, and so from there, I went over to 72 2 and Sonny, um, an awesome shop that I, you know, also had been on my radar for a really long time. Um, but I only ended up staying for a cup of coffee. I was there for about seven months uh, working on the Google account, and it was just clear I needed to find something that was more my speed um, and also more um, akin to my job level that I had thought was at the time.
1: Okay. What, what was the role that you took there? It was still, Uh, was it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so I had worked at Crispin my way up to being creative director. And I will say that that also came in a very like fly by to the seat of your pants kind of way. Um, I was working on infinity motors and uh, at the time we didn't really have a whole bunch of creatives there. So I was sort of my own boss. So I was like a creative director, creative directing my own work, if you will. Uh, So in terms of like my ability to interface with clients and sell work through and produce work, like had all of those skills, check, check, check. Uh, When it came to managing a creative team and being able to show that I had the ability to mentor and lead in that capacity, I think uh, I looked a little thin on that side. And so I had interviewed at 72 for a creative director role. And uh, I think they just sort of squinted at me and didn't necessarily think I was up to the caliber that they look for out of creatives. And, you know, they they don't lie. You know, they're very honest about the fact that their creatives are pretty much all people CV level enough. Uh, I think that's part of how they make the great work they do. So there's a lot of people there that are amazing creatives that have been creative directors before at shops and they come in and they don't even have A C D level there. They actually have senior level. Uh, is the jump from that to CD? So I came in as a senior copywriter, uh, which was a little bit of a tough pill to swallow for me. It was, it was humbling. I, you know, I thought, well, maybe I'm not a creative director, and maybe this isn't. Yeah. You know, this is maybe this is the right thing for me. And it's, you know, I was working on the Google brand, and it was just, you know, all of the things was like, I gotta, I gotta give this a shot. Right. And it just became very clear, very quickly that like I had undervalued myself. um, And I had not listened to that small part of me that said, you know, you, you know, you're worth more than this and you can contribute more. And, you know, it. everyone there was great and very much so respected my ideas, but there were so many layers to getting work sold through that I wasn't used to. Remember, I was a creative director with no boss right. and no creatives. And suddenly right. I was a senior writer with a CD, a GCD, an ECD, a strategist that thought he was a CD, a CCO. And I was like, and then clients. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, this isn't what I want. I want to be at a place where I can lead and affect change and learn how to manage people. Um, and so when a recruiter called, you know, seven months later about a job at Omelette, I just, I had to to say yes to interviewing. And, you know, it's been an amazing fit for close to three years.
1: That's very cool. That's very cool. And what would you say, um, before we jump into some other topics here, what would you say is sort of the the secret sauce over at Omelette, or what is it that you guys really hang your hat on?
0: Oh, the age-old question, right? The secret recipe. Um, I think, honestly, what Omelette really does so well is not believing that we have some sort of proprietary formula that we try to sell to people. Um, You know, I think anyone that works at Omelette always says over and over again that I'm here because of the people and how wonderful the people are. Um, And we do have one phrase that we say that is a little TME, if you will. But uh, we like to say that we have um, the empathy of insiders and the perspective of outsiders. And every time we look at work, look at a brief, talk to a new client, we really try to play both of those parts well and to understand and empathize with not only them, but also with their diehard fans and why people love them so much. And then on the other side, be able to, to come in and give a perspective when someone's maybe a little too close to something and provide, yeah. you know, a true recommendation that is, you know, maybe not nice, but is kind.
1: Right. Okay. I like that. That's, that's uh, that's a, that's a good sort of way to think about it. So now that you've, okay, you've had all this experience you sort of were a creative director and then you sort of got knocked down a little bit. Right. And you started questioning yourself and am I a creative director? You know, what is, what do you think the role of a, or what have you come to learn is the role of a creative director? What is, you know, what are we doing? What, what should we be doing?
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, temporary setback actually really showed me that, there's two very distinct sides to being a creative director. Uh, you know one is really the ability to mentor creatives, to foster talent, to find that little something in an idea, help push it along. Um, that that side of things is very important. Uh, but on the other side of things, and the thing that I think I was able to develop earlier on in my career is really serving kind of as that that bridge, if you will, between, the client and the creatives. Uh, I think, you know, we all too often think about that role as being the job of the account person, right? Right. Or of the right. brand team. And that is true. Like they are the true liaison, if you will, <laughs> between yeah. agency and client. That is the very definition of their job. Um, but I think it's almost just as important, if not more so important, for the creative director to play that role too. Because if the CD is not looking out for uh, the wants and needs of the clients, understanding them, empathizing, understanding the why behind why they might feel a certain way, focus on those relationships, then I think it's impossible to look out for the integrity of the work. Yeah. Because ultimately, those two things, they should work together, right? They should right. they should be the same goal. You want your clients to be happy, because, and your clients would be happy if they had a product that they were proud of and oftentimes when we don't listen to our clients or when we're we're not really like digging deeper to understand what it is behind why they give a certain you know comment if they if we just say no then ultimately like we're just protecting the work and then no one's happy and then the business ultimately suffers.
1: Yeah, and do you find also this is something that I try to impart on my my teams as well, right? Because it is easy for us to be like, well, the account Dean didn't, didn't sell this idea, right. Or they didn't, you know, they didn't give us the right feedback or, or whatever it is. Do you find also, um, do you encourage your, your team to kind of, to form those relationships with the client or do you think that it's strictly just for the creative director or, or how close do you bring them in to that relationship with directly with the client? Cause sometimes I think that things also do get lost in translation You know, back and forth between the account team and the creative team, or from the from the client to the account lead, right? They 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 didn't hear something, or they interpreted it a certain a certain way. Um, Do you give them? Do you give your team members also access to the client as well, or do you serve as the main point?
0: Oh, absolutely! No, I I'm all about being on a level playing field as a single team working in service of the work. Uh, Oftentimes when we do our client meetings, you'll see my creative team is, is there. They're the majority person presenting to the client. I'm there to help set up the work and let them hear and, you know, practice their presentation skills. And we've got our brand team on there. And then after it's done, we always do an immediate debrief. What just happened? What did you hear? How did you hear it? And I think it's important because when we all are present for those conversations, which is, you know, a lot easier to do nowadays over Zoom and Google Meet, right. um, then we're able to to understand and have that empathy towards them. Yes. I mean, our my creative teams, as much as I can put them in front of the client, that's what I want to do. I, you know, yeah. if a room has to be small, sure, I get it. A room has to be small. But I'm always going to be the one saying, like, well, how about I stay back? And they go on the call instead.
1: Right. That never That's flies. great. <laughs> it, it doesn't, it doesn't fly all the time.
0: No, it, you know, no, it's usually gotta be all of us, but yeah, the, you know, it's important for, it's important for creative teams to get FaceTime with the clients. Like, otherwise, how are you going to learn?
1: Yeah. How are you going to learn? How are you also going to take, um, how are you going to take the feedback? Right. Cause again, sometimes we're getting feedback from a, uh, from the account team. Right. And, and you may, as a creative person, you might think be thinking, well, did the client really say that, or are they interpret interpreting it in a different way or whatever it, it might be? Sometimes it's good for the creative person to hear it directly from the client so that they understand there wasn't any kind of, um, you know, skewing of the information. And I think that that's good because mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, we can be a little bit precious as as creatives, right? And we're not getting something, and we're kind of stuck on something because we like it or we think it's cool. Meanwhile, the the client doesn't like it because it's not serving the goal or the brief or whatever it might be. So sometimes it's kind of like, well, you should hear it directly from the from the client. So it's not always possible because you know we're um, we're a small team on this end, and um, we're always running at a hundred miles an hour. So it's sometimes hard to spare the time to have them on on the client calls, but I do, I do think it's important. It's got like, you know, guys, we got to be there. We got to hear directly from, from the client and we got to present the work because it's always better for a creative to present the work. Right. I I think we always kind of give it a little, a little extra pizzazz and and it's just, you know, I think they, I think clients want to hear from the creatives. Right. I think sometimes they don't get enough, um, direct contact with the creative folks.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, one thing we've been hearing a lot of recently from our clients especially clients who start an agency side is like, Hey, I don't want to be like presented to, I want to have a conversation with my creative one person to another over this work. And I find that when we sort of take away a little bit of those smoke and mirrors that we're so used to doing, uh, you actually, you know, get down to the root of what's going on sooner and work sells through faster and you have happier clients. But I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I think like the shielding thing is something we need to change in advertising in general. Shielding our our creatives from client feedback or serving it up in a way that's a little bit more delicate. Like I think to a certain extent we have to watch out for, of course, it's, this is a subjective business. This is idea that came from your head and it's easy to, you know, to take it personally, but I think creators have a thicker skin than a yeah. lot of people think and we can take yeah. it. And if we just hear it from the horse's mouth, instead of hearing it from some like cute little meerkat's mouth that has been spitted up and like delivering it in a new way, right. that we might actually be able to solve it faster for them
1: and be able okay yeah. to And how, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, mm-hmm. but how's the sort of the, how have you navigated, it sounds like you're pretty good at this because you worked on both sides, but how have you navigated that, you know, account versus creative sort of age old dilemma? <laughs> and you, you have a great perspective because you started on the other side, right? So you probably know both sides, but how, how do you, how have you navigated that?
0: Yeah. Uh, and if, or if you're speaking specifically to account people having creative opinions, is that, <laughs> is that kind of what you're getting at?
1: yeah part part of it and um yeah and i mean i i have this i have this uh i have this this session that i do that i haven't done uh in a while which i need to do and it's called uh creatives are lazy and account pe- people and account people don't do anything all day and 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 other misconceptions about our business there's something like that right mm-hmm. and it just kind of talks about both sides right cuz i think at the end of the day we just don't understand we don't have empathy for each of the sides, right? Each of the sides has its own perks and each of the sides has its own um, dilemmas, right? So I think that's part of it, right? The over the shoulder, um, on the creative side, it's like the the over the shoulder thing with account Mm -hmm. folks where they're kind of like, you know, if you're on a deadline, they're standing behind you like, oh, I think the logo needs to be bigger, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's funny because I always the, the example that I use is like, never in a million years would I presume to stand over, the shoulder of an account person as they're writing an email to their client going, are you sure you want to open with hello? <laughs> seems, seems kind of formal. Don't you think like maybe an <laughs> Ola, you know, an Ola, you know, oh, you Can to, we start doing that please? You know, oh, like I would love that. never, never in a million years would you do that. But for some reason, maybe it's because mm-hmm. what they, you know, what we do is seen as really fun and exciting that everybody wants in on it, but it's just weird to me. Like I would never do that.
0: Yeah. So
1: um, to get back to the, to your sort of follow up question, yeah, I think it's it's that just the just the relationship in general, right? We want sure. we need everything right now, right now, right now. That that whole thing and you know all the fun stuff that goes along with that.
0: Yeah, that I mean when you put it that way. So I will say I don't envy the the position that the account people are ever in, and especially in the beginning when it was fresh when I hadn't done it. You know, I'd just done it like a year ago or three years prior. I really had that empathy for, like, I know what it's like to sit in that chair and to have a client be mad at you, and for you to feel like everything has to be a formal song and dance. And you know, you can't always uh, affect the timeline. You can't always push back. Oftentimes, you have to be the bad messenger, and that sucks. It's kind of a shitty job. Yeah. <laughs> that part of the job, it sucks. And so, yeah, in that case, I will say I do empathize and see what's going on on their end. And, you know, we try our best to, you know, meet them halfway. Um, you know, I think the the best kind of relationship you can have between account and strategy and creative is, you know, a, an opinion that's coming from your own specialty. Like, I like to say stay in your lane, but if we're gonna be talking about the creative, which let's be honest, like the creative is the work. It's that is the whole thing. You know, it's the truth is I'm not gonna comment on their email because that's not the work. That's not what's gonna be on air in a few days or you know, put online. It's it's all in service of the work. And so it's very easy for, you know, the the eyes, you know, the squinting to happen from the account person or from the strategy side, like is this creative on strategy? Is this creative gonna make our client happy? Uh, And everyone, as long as we're looking out for the integrity of the work from the point of view of your job and not like, you know, what if you did this with the headline? You know, that's why I go "Mm, stay in your lane.
1: (laughs) All right. Time for a quick commercial break. But when we return, Chelsea will answer this question. Is our job is our number one job to make the client happy? Tell me if you agree with this statement. Um, is our job is our number one job to make the client happy?
0: No, I mean that's
1: because not- I struggle with that. I struggle with that because sometimes I hear that from from folks on you know yeah. on the account side and said, like, "Well, our job is to make the the and and I think that yes, that is. Part of it, but it's almost a a, a subset, right? It's almost like we got to do the best possible work so that it produces results, so that they are are then happy. But I feel like exactly. if our main goal is to make them happy, we're going to produce work that we know that they that they like. Was mm-hmm. it will it be effective? Maybe not. And then when it's not effective. The client's not going to, you know, when their boss gets on them for the, the work not being effective, they're never going to go, Oh, well, sorry, that was my bad. I asked, I told them to do that. Or I, right. you know,
0: I they think, made me happy. Yeah. The job isn't to make them happy. I, you're right. I, happiness is a byproduct of our job. And I think ultimately, like, if you really wanted to say what it is, it's like, I feel like our job is to, like, Make our boss look so good that they get a promotion because they're so successful. We've create our job is to create work that breaks through culturally yep. and as a result makes the brand more successful and then brings in turn, you know, more revenue and then more work to do. It's, you know, it's this, it's a cycle of just success. We're trying yeah. to be successful. We're trying to connect to our audience. We're trying to, we're in, a, we're in the business to make money. We're trying to help them sell more of whatever they're selling. <laughs> yeah. And we're trying to do it in a way that connects with people. And, you know, if all of those things fall into place, then yes, our client's going to ultimately be happy. But it's not about making them happy in the moment. Just saying yes to everything or right. doing something because they think it's right. You know, it's that comes back to the, you know, don't be nice, be kind to them. So sometimes that means telling them something they don't want to hear, uh, because ultimately, it's in service of making better work that will be better for them.
1: Cool. Yeah. So how would you describe um, your your creative process? Um, You know, uh, how would what what does it look like? I always ask guests, like if you had to map it out as a as an image, what does it look like?
0: Uh, this is the part where I'm going to come off as like such a dopey, dry, creative.
1: <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think everybody's, you know, it's all different. This, which is what I, why I love doing the show. Cause everybody's got a different yeah. you know, perspective, but no, I, and, and I've listened to
0: some of your past episodes and I, you know, I hear everyone talk about like, Oh, the mess, the beauty, the art, the leave me alone. I'll come back to you when I got it. And, you know, I think to a certain extent that is true and it's true for a lot of people. Um, but I'm very much so like a left and right brained equal parts person. I think probably that's why I was like comfortable with the idea of account work in my past. Um, But I'm a pretty linear creative. Uh, I, you know, I love the brief, I worship the brief. And if I don't like the brief, I make my own brief. But for me, I love coming from like an observation, you know, the best work always comes out of something that's true. And, you know, if you can come in from that direction, the work's going to naturally fall out of it in a very linear way. Right. Um, and I do find, you know, I'm a writer. That's my background. Not, you know, not much of a visual person. I've gotten better out of, you know, just being around it and also needing to now that I'm at the point of my career where I have to comment on both. Yeah. Um. But, you know, for me, I find that, you know, when I'm stuck or when I'm just going, I just write. I just write words down on a paper, stream of consciousness, thinking. Um. Oftentimes that's in the form of like, a manifesto or a script i think in words yeah <laughs> i that's right. i think i think in lengthy lofty paragraphs and i'll often find that as i'm writing i will start to understand what i'm saying and what i'm thinking and it will get sharper and sharper and sharper until finally i will like land on a sentence and i'll be like well that's it and then i'll go back and i'll rewrite the whole thing <laughs> to better serve that that big aha moment that i've had
1: right and so that sounds like it's it's pretty specific when you're working on um, a certain type of work. But let's just say you're you've you've got I'm trying to figure out because the, the type of work that we do uh, at the agency that I work for is a little bit different, right? So yeah. when you're trying to just generate a lot of ideas, let's say a lot of mm-hmm. a, a campaign campaign ideas. How do you how do you run your team? Like what do what do you have them do, or or how do you start the process? Obviously, it sounds like you're um, really big on the brief, which I which I am too. And then where do you go from there? What do you do? How do you set them loose?
0: Yeah, I mean, and every brief can be different. So you know, sometimes you don't need to start with like the big giant platform. But I've always been a believer in platform level thinking first. Um, And so oftentimes, like for a round one, if we're working on, you know, a big campaign, I want them to come in with like an idea first, like a concept, a conceptual thought that can then translate itself into different types of ways to bring that idea to life, whether that's through a script, through an action, you know, brand acts, we focus on a lot, uh, a various form of digital media that can show and demonstrate that idea in an interesting way. And I often find that that's, you know, still the smartest way in, you know, sometimes the brief is we just need a big uh you know digital object yeah. to sell this and it's very straightforward and sometimes in that case it's just like all right let's just get inspired like let's just start to look at different mediums and different ways in so in that case it's not as linear because you can come in from an a truth you can come in from a medium and just say like well what if we just said like hey what can we do with ar let's just think yeah. about that right. you know and try to build out 360 by checking those like deliverable boxes um, but again, here I am saying checking boxes again, linear in my brain. Like, do yeah. we have it all? Do we have it all like mapped out? Um, and then sometimes too, like, you know, the, the really weird way in is I use this method called oblique strategies. Hmm. I don't know if, if you ever heard of this. I, no. I, I, I got it from a podcast many years ago. Um, and essentially, uh, Oblique strategies is this concept where you, there's a website you can go, I think it's called like oblicard.com. It may have changed its URL recently, but a just very bizarre, strange sentence is thrown at you. And you just start to think about and solve the problem in that way. And we use that as like a jumping off point a lot of times for free thinking brainstorms. Um, Hmm. Like when an idea doesn't have a brief or we just want to bring some proactive thinking to a client, we'll go and we will throw it up. And it's like whatever you see, you just have to react to. So like sometimes it will be like the darkness lies within. And then you're like, all right. (laughs) So if you start from the inside and you just start kind of going from there and often it will it will become, you know, very like barely a shadow of what that initial sentence was, but right. it's just a different way to get your brain thinking. Especially when, you know, you do when if you are like me, you have a tendency to think linearly. If you've been on an account for a while, you can get in a rut of like, well, this is the formula that works. Yeah, so it breaks you out of it.
1: That's cool. I love I love stuff like that. I love tools yeah. and 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 just introducing sort of play elements to the creative process or just, you know, you, you got to do something right. Cause I, I hate, the, the thing that I hate the most is like, Hey, we're all getting on the phone and having a brainstorm or on zoom and having And I'm like, that is the worst way to come up with ideas because it's usually the loud people like me that take up all the time. And, you know, and then you have somebody with really great ideas that's, you know, sitting in the corner and doesn't want to say anything. Um, so I loved, like, let's have some kind of process. Let's not, you know, s- just sit on Zoom and shout out ideas. Let's answer some questions. Let's generate sticky notes, you know, and put them up on on a wall. You can do that all digitally now, right? Or let's mm-hmm. um, write a press release of what a success, this successful campaign would be, how they somebody would write uh, about it after it was already done, right, to see if that'll generate. Do something, like, you know, Take a different approach than just sitting there and like, well, what if we did this, yeah. which I just don't think um, would work. So if I asked, you know, if I pulled people aside from your team and said, tell me how Chelsea works, like what, how does she work or what's, you know, what would they say? What do you think they would say about your sort of your creative direction style?
0: Oh, I would really hope that they would say that I'm not just the type of creative director that goes, keep pushing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, you might have to call them up and ask them. I mean, I I like to think that I pride myself on trying very hard to give intelligent feedback. I will say it is very hard in the moment. It is not easy and it's slightly nerve wracking when you're staring at an idea and you don't yet know what to do with it. You don't really know what to say about it. And oftentimes I find that if I, if I feel that way, I'll just tell them that I'll just say, you know, I think there's something in this idea, but there's something not quite right about it. I don't have my finger on it yet. I'm like, but let me sit with it and I'm going to get back to you on it. And often I find that if we move on to the next idea and there's like the nugget there that's working, I'll then be able to say, you know, what's not working about this idea, but could work. And, and, Sometimes it also just happens in an epiphany later and I'll like write a note. I'll follow up on an email and say, you know, that idea earlier, I didn't know what to do with it. This is what you can do with it. So I try very hard to, even if I don't, just be very like self-admitting and, you know, work really closely with them to try to make the work better.
1: Yeah, which is fair, right? And I think a lot of times as a creative director, you feel like you have to have the answer right then and there. and, and, Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't. And I think it's uh what what was the phrase that you that you used that you wish that you hoped you weren't that kind of creative director? What was it? Oh, keep pushing it. Just keep pushing it.
0: I don't know, keep pushing it. Like
1: Yeah. What are some like what are some what would you say are some standard things that you might say?
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of times I like to ask ourselves like, would anyone care? <laughs> Yeah, like, that's whenever, a good one. We don't to give a shit about this. Uh, if they saw, you know, like a lot, you know, it's very easy to write an idea that's right. You know, and we we oftentimes will say that, like, oh, well, this idea is correct. It's right. It solves the breeze. I'm like, but is it interesting? Like, is, like, would anybody care? Um, and, you know, I find that that's, like, the easiest thing to throw at someone because they'll look at me like, eh, yeah, you're kind of right. And yeah. I'm passionate about it. You know that's when you and i love you look for the passion that the that the copywriter art director has for idea. they're like no i think they would care and then they tell you why sometimes you realize that you're just coming from your own place right your own experience you know here i am a you know 34 year old white female from upstate new york i have my lived experiences they have theirs and right. of, and so often i'm not the target and neither are they or if they are the target, they'll have something to tell me that I'm like, well, you know what, then they would care. And, you know, it's really just about asking that question to help figure out, like, is this worth it? And, you know, that's what you look for. You know?
1: Yeah, that's that's good. That's good. Yeah. Sometimes I'll, you know, I'll ask that kind of question and then somebody will say something and I'll be like, yeah, you know what? I buy it. All right. Move on. You know. Um, all right. That's good. So. Where do you, where do you um, search for inspiration? Like what kinds of things do you do to get inspired personally or to inspire your team? Are there some little tricks or, you know, techniques that you use?
0: Ah, oh, inspiration. That's a good question. Um, you know, I often find that my inspiration comes in the form of like things that don't look like inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel like I fill my cup up by doing things that have nothing to do with advertising, that look nothing like looking at advertising. <laughs> you know, I I I probably should be more dialed into what our whole industry is doing, but you know, I don't. I love making ads and I love making campaigns. I don't like watching ads. <laughs> Right. And so I often find that like the best inspiration I get is, you know, by living my life, going out and doing things, taking a break, um, coming back and, you know, indulging in other forms of content that, you know, serve you. I love listening to podcasts. I love watching television series, you know, that kind of stuff like. You can draw inspiration from anything, anywhere, I and mean, it doesn't always have to be like I saw this type treatment on the True Detective uh, opening, and we should use it. And I'm not talking about that kind of inspiration, right? <laughs> I'm ta- you know, I'm talking about just like a, a certain sense of feeling and creativity that's just like, oh, I just want to be better because people are doing things I've never seen before, and they're so cool.
1: Yeah. No, no,
0: is that is that a, a, much of an answer? I no, yeah,
1: a- absolutely. And how do you, so what do you, is that what you impart on your team? Like get out there and just do stuff or, you know, now, now that we're all that we're still out on zoom, we started actually, um, a few of us started going back into the office, not a bunch, but now we kind of shut down again. But um, you know, is that what you encourage your team to do when they're stuck, you know, or looking for, for inspiration?
0: Yeah. I mean, definitely. I think like the time is, you know, always of the essence. I wish I could just say, just go off for a week and come back with the answer. It's always like for the next uh, eight hours until we meet again. Yeah, <laughs> go off and find yourself inspired. But I very much so encourage my creatives not beat their head heads against the wall. You know, I would say the general time that we review first rounds of work tends to be towards the end of the day. You know, you might be in an hour and a half call on Google Meet, and you know, you've gone through a ton of work. And the next time we're meeting is, you know, less than 40 hours away. And I usually tell them, please do not work tonight. I don't want you thinking about this tonight. I want you thinking about it unconsciously. And, you know, then in the morning with a fresh head, come back to it or work when it's best for you. And, you know, I often find that when I let them sort of be like the leaders of their own uh, destiny, that that's when the, the best work comes back to me.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. I, I, I believe that as well. Um, You know, and it's, again, it's, it's sometimes hard. People are going to think that I'm harping on the whole account versus creative (laughs) thing, but sometimes it's hard, I think, for people to understand that it's not just like you're just, it's not like you're doing an assembly line kind of job, right? It's like, well, why is this taking so long? It's like, well, it's not like you just sit down and then the, the idea comes instantly to you, right? Sometimes you have to play around. And, and I think sometimes people don't understand that that's part of the process is that sometimes part of the process is that that you have to sort of, you know, unplug and, and just take a break and let your mind sort of roam for a little bit. Um, so, okay. So what would you, you meant you talked a little bit about this earlier, but what would you be doing if you weren't doing this, This type of of work. And I also did a little um, Internet detective work and and saw something that you did not mention to me, which I'm going to bring up. But what would you be doing if you weren't doing this job?
0: And I'm like, what on
1: earth could that be? Um, Yeah. uh, So I always say like Second
0: Life or, you know, when I say second life. I mean, like literally could be my next career trajectory. Who knows? But uh, I would definitely work in the wine industry um, and probably be a winemaker. Um, just take a hard left or I should say, like, just head straight up to Santa Barbara and just start frolicking among the grapevines.
1: Well, I mean, that would be pretty cool because you love it, right? You, you know, um, I want to know a little bit about what, how, how you know it or how much you know about it, but then you could also be the, you know market it right so maybe 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 you should maybe you will so what kinds of um what kind of wine would it be or tell us a little bit about sort of how you you know your your love of wine and how far does that go yeah
0: i mean so for me like i love wine endlessly (laughs) and i am a huge like just sponge about learning more about it i think wine is like this beautiful mysterious liquid and you know we shouldn't just try to pretend that we can learn everything about it. I think wine has a very snooty, pretentious aura about it. And I think that we have decided that it's that way. Um, But, you know, my generation in particular is drinking more wine than anyone ever has before. And, you know, people are interested in learning more about it and the varietals are becoming more approachable. And so for me, like my niche in it would be, you know just trying to bring wine to a novice, someone that's interested and wants to learn a little bit more about it, um, in, in just a way that feels more approachable. So, I mean, I won't give it away cause I feel like it's going to become a thing before I get to make it, but I do have a vision in my mind for what my wine label would be. Okay. Uh, I will, I will give the hint that it has a lot to do with food and wine pairings and really making that simple. Um, and, Love you know, it. uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I think from that, you can explore a bunch of different varietals. I will say my absolute favorite varietal of wine is Grenache. I could drink Grenache all day long. Garnacha in Spain, Grenache up here in Santa Barbara County is amazing. French Grenache. Oh my God, give me a GSM any day. I just live and breathe it. But uh, I also don't discriminate. I love all my varietals equally, <laughs> except for Grenache. So, a little bit
1: more. would you, would you, so would you literally want to, make it like grow the grapes and make it or be someone that kind of goes around and finds, mm. you know, Grape- you know, cause I think that it's, there's, there's people that just kind of find the wines, right. And then package them or whatever. Is that, would you right. want to grow them and everything, grow the, the grapes and everything?
0: I would, it's a great question. Um So there's, cause there's so many ways in which you can make a bottle of wine and you're right. Like you could literally just be being like that and then just give it a, a label Right. I but, but that, I
1: mean, there's an art, there would be an art to that, right? Because it, you wouldn't, um, you would know which one is going to be better or, or, or suits your sort of your vision and all that. So I, I do think there's probably a, an art to that as well, but it's a different approach.
0: There is. And like there, so there's a wine brand out there called Globarati. I highly recommend. And all essentially what they do is curate some of the best of grape varietals from all around the world. And so you might drink a Globarati cab that's from France and then you have a Globarati. uh, Melbeck from argentina um so that's one way to go about it and there is an art form to that uh, and i think you know what they're doing to bring more wines from around the world to other people is awesome uh i think what i would want to do is have a hand in it from soup to nuts start to yeah. finish <laughs> but uh i'm also not going to pretend i am a viticulturalist or an enologist. so i would want to do that with help so i would essentially uh want to do you know Keep it local. I'm very, I'm very much so um, in love with not just the Central Coast, but some of the the grapes that we're growing in like Los Angeles County as well. Yeah, a lot of people don't know about uh, the, the LA right. Vendors Association is amazing. I have some great friends that make wines from them. So being able to help, um, like pick the grapes that I'm purchasing, visit the visit (laughs) and and kiss my little grapes as they're growing (laughs) and work closely with the farmer to talk about what my, what I want, what I'm interested in, you know, to a certain extent, I'd have a hand in it and then essentially be a winemaking apprentice. So find somebody who, knows what they're doing to make the wine and to show me how they're doing and what they're doing and help inform some of the decisions. Like, do I want this wine to go through malolactic fermentation? Do I want to age in oak barrels or do I want to keep it neutral or stainless? And so there's so many different options. So I want to be involved in every decision-making process to create a wine that is truly my wine. Uh, but I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert in any of that until maybe the label.
1: <laughs> yeah how fun that would be exciting now you're now you're making me think maybe i should start maybe i should make my own tequila brand maybe i you maybe shouldn't. I need to start thinking about that i need to start thinking about that okay the thing that i want to ask you about is yeah. um I, I noticed that um it said under education on your on your um profile on your website profile it said upright citizens <laughs> brigade you yeah. glossed over that i want to know all about that because that Sounds so cool. And I gotta, I gotta imagine that it's helped that skill set has helped you in your career. So tell us about that.
0: No, oh, so much. It, you know, it's funny. I sometimes I just forget because it just it feels like such an isolated moment in time. But yeah, I went to UCB and I did the 101 and 201. And so essentially, I guess if certain listeners don't know, Upright Citizens Brigade is an improvisational comedy school. It's one of the first ones uh, based on the Herald, uh, which the Herald method of improv, uh, was, uh, invented by Del Close. Um, and you know, it's like second city, a lot of people know second city, right. um, Amy Poehler the ground, was one of gra- the, the groundlings. groundlings. Right. Exactly. And, uh, Amy Poehler was one of the founders of UCB. And, uh, so essentially back, back when I was a Crispin, um, I wanted to become a better writer, uh, be less afraid of my ideas and be a better presenter. And I, you know, I love performing. I grew up as a dancer and a pianist. The stage is where I always just felt the most at home, but you know, I I'm also not a big show off. Right. So like, I was like, I'm not going to go be a theater major. I'm not going to go try to make this living. But I was like, you know, I think that this could actually be something that could help me a lot. And I convinced uh, my boss at the time to pay for it, Crispin. It was like, you know, awesome. an educational uh, opportunity for me just for the one on one. I paid for two on um, But it was a Thursday night class once a week. And I went in and I was scared shitless. Uh, and it was so fun. It was so amazing. And I learned I learned an insane amount about just not caring about the ideas that you have and just saying, like, who cares if they're bad? I'm going to throw it out there and I'm going to see what we do with it. And it helped me become so much more confident in my concepting, you know, as, as a writer on the side of it that, you know, is going into the round one room and you're like shaking with the paper in your hand, like, are any of these ideas any good? I just, I stopped caring about, you know, you know, and becoming better at being like, well, that idea sucked. How funny was that? Let's move on to the next one. You know, you just get, it just get faster and easier. And I found that I just became more confident, creative, a more efficient, creative. Um, and it was just, it was a lot of fun.
1: So is, um, is the ups, Upright Citizens Brigade, the whole yes, and thing where you're supposed to say yes. And, and then when you're improvising, is that part of the method? Yes. And it was very helpful.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. So essentially like if you are giving a, a prompt and I'm going to probably butcher like the exact terms now that I'm a little rusty on my exact Harold rules, Uh, If I were to enter a scene and look to you and be like, man, what a beautiful day it is outside. Your job is to agree and add on. Oh my gosh, I know. Can you imagine the sunshine? The no would be like, are you kidding? It's raining. And that's just a hard stop. For yeah, it's theory, a hard right? stop. Yeah, you, you've created a wall. Like suddenly, you've created a, a universe in which I guess I'm crazy because I think it's sunny. Uh, and so sometimes it's just hard to dig yourself out. And that's how you start to get nervous and self conscious because someone has essentially told you you're wrong or you're not funny. And you know you're you know you're not really making jokes. You're not trying to make a joke ever when you're when you're improvising. But naturally, it becomes absurd and funny as a result of just saying yes to everything. Uh, and then, you know, with Harold, it's done an act, so things get progressively weirder and wackier uh, until you finally come to like the penultimate version of that one joke you've distilled down to.
1: Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Have you ever used? I'm just curious. Have you ever used that kind of technique in a in a, an ideation session or where it's like, you know, say some say an idea and then yes and build on mm-hmm. that. Have you ever used it or kind of a a version of, of that?
0: definitely totally i you know i think that's sort of like it's just it happens in the unconscious now um but sometimes we we have that those moments especially in brainstorms you know when we're all building off of each other um and you know, there's a difference between like a yes and, and then the hat on the hat. Right. <laughs> but I think, you know, the more that we can build off of each other, like that's when the ideas get better and that's why it's better to work in partnerships and teams because you have someone there to yes. And you, as opposed to just trying to yes. And yourself, which is sometimes a little, right.
1: Yeah. 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 I would imagine that is. Um, all right, cool. And so a tough one, I'm going to ask you a, t- a tough question and then we'll get to, uh, we'll have to pay off the title of the show, but what's, what do you think, you know, what does the future of our industry look like? Or what, what do you think the biggest challenges that that we're facing as we um, come out of this thing or not come out of this thing? Um, you know, but also, I mean, you know, we're making things, I, you mentioned this in our, in our, in our pre um, conversation, but you know, things are getting, people are getting more efficient, right? You're people, you know, everyone's a content creator. You're able to make things faster and cheaper and, you know, what do you think? What what does the future hold for our industry? I mean, what are we looking at? I think in some ways it's exciting, but in some other ways it's also kind of scary.
0: I know. Do you do you know the answer? Because
1: <laughs> I'd like I to know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Um, I have some thoughts around it, and I think as a creative person, it could be really exciting and interesting because maybe you can get ideas out into the marketplace place faster without as you know uh, but then it's also if, if i'm being honest you know if everybody's a content creator and everybody's able to do it and everybody's you know trying to beat each other on price then can you make a living at it and you know yeah. so those types of things also come into play but from a creative perspective it could be really cool um totally or it could just be a big disaster i don't know <laughs> one of those two things
0: i mean where I'm positive and optimistic is like I do feel like as creatives, we always have a job. It just might not have the same shape it currently has. You know, I think the the point earlier about technology is it's it's changing us faster than maybe we're prepared for that change, right? On one side, you do have all you have everybody has, you know, this in their hand. They this, this yeah. iPhone, or this pixel, right. whatever it is, whatever yeah. their phone is, and it has this amazing camera on it. And everyone has editing software, and everyone can be their own voiceover. And it's amazing some of this content that we're seeing coming out of Gen Z, people that aren't even 18 yet are able to create work faster, that looks pretty slick. Uh, and yeah. so I think on, on one side, like, that's great. I'm so I'm so grateful that that exists. I think it's beautiful. It's another form of creativity. I, you know, I think where push comes to shove is, you know, the the magic sauce that, that, that they're not able to create or production companies are able to create by cutting out the agency entirely is like the full perspective, right? You know, our as as creatives, you know, we work in shops that also have people there that are like analyzing the business, analyzing big data and interpreting it and figuring out like, what is the truth that comes out of this? And you've got these super smart strategists. And truthfully, that is a lot of overhead and cost. I think there's going to be a streamlined way to do it that needs to come out of all of this that can help with the fact that everything needs to be faster and cheaper and still look good as hell. Um there's going to be, you know, some sort of breaking point, but I don't think we're ever going to see a, a point where we just go, let's just use the the kid with the iPhone, you know, cause they can try it, but they're not going to get the same kind of result. Um, and then, you know, on the whole other side of things talking about technology, you know, what you and I are doing right now, having a seamless face-to-face conversation while I'm in Mexico city and you're in yeah. LA um, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like what we're able to do and accomplish, uh, I think is going to help connect us more globally. I think, you know, one thing we're doing at omelet right now is we, Uh, We have a whole craft arm that we call assembly where we hire freelance talent from all over the world to help us make amazing, beautiful products for our clients. So we have, you know, animators in Portugal and we have illustrators in Russia and talent that you just wouldn't be able to tap if you didn't have like the seamlessness of technology available to you um, is really proving to be an amazing model for us. Uh, And it's letting us create beautiful products faster and cheaper.
1: Um, okay, so it's come, you know, to that time in the show where we have to pay off the title Confessions of a Creative Director. So take take a, a a swig of your of your wine there. And what is it that you've been, you know, holding on to that you want to confess to, that you want to let everybody know? Um, let, let us let us have it.
0: Yeah, I probably need maybe I need one more sip. <laughs> I should I should have brought a shot with me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you should I feel like I actually I kind of alluded to it earlier, perhaps. Uh, and I also think like you'll have to tell me if this is, you know, okay, what everyone feels, but I think like the fact that I just still feel like a total hack. Like, I, I'm gonna be perfectly honest. Like, I when I start a project, particularly when you're coming into like round one of something, I am still terrified that I'm like, what if I never have another good idea again? Or what if I look at this work, and I had no idea what to do with it? Like, sure, I solved it on this last project we did. And the, you know, 12 projects, but I don't know about this one, this one's totally new. And I still come into every round one with that fear. Um, and I used to, you know, I felt it when I was on one side of the table, because I was the one sharing my ideas and putting it all out there on the line. Um, but you know, across the way as the CD now, I feel so much, um, maybe unnecessary in some way, so much pressure to figure it out. I feel like I need to figure it out for my creative team. I need to show them the way and be a good mentor. I feel like I need to figure it out for my brand people, my strategists, so we don't lose the account. And I also feel like I got to figure it out for the client because they're relying on us to solve this. And, you know, we're all in this together, but I can't help but feel as a CD and I hope other CDs out there feel the same way. You tell yep. me if you do yep. that, like all of the pressure in the world is on us every time to, to crack it. And every time I start, I feel like I don't know if I'm gonna.
1: Yeah, no, I, it's probably the number one, um, confession of, of the people that are on the podcast. It's, it's the imposter syndrome, right? It's like, do I really know what the hell I'm saying or doing? Um, and I think, yeah, I think it's 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 pretty common, and I think it, it comes from the fact that we're all, you know, at our core, sort of artists or, or create. You know, we're 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 artists, we're creative people, right? And I think you know, there's a certain level of insecurity that comes with that, and and you know, it's also because of the work that we do is un, in some ways it's unlike other types of work because you kind of put your heart and soul into something and you're exposing it to the world. And somebody's telling you that your baby's ugly, you know, and and so I think there's that whole thing, you know, as well. So no, it's you're in you're in good company because I think uh, a lot of people that I've spoken to say the same thing, um, and I and I, and maybe that's okay, and maybe it's maybe it's um, the the thing that keeps you sort of engaged, right. And, and sort of keeps you on your toes. Is that kind of like, cause maybe if you ever do get to a point where you're like, Oh yeah, I got it. Maybe it's, maybe that's when it's over. Cause maybe it's no, no longer fun or exciting or I don't know, but I think it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty common. What do you, what do you, um, do you think that if you, some people from your team, Uh, listen to the podcast that they'll be surprised to hear that because they probably think oh chelsea she's got all the answers and they're like (laughs) oh shit she doesn't have all the answers what do you think you know
0: (laughs) yeah maybe i mean i think what what i've learned is that like everyone feels that way everyone feels like it's on them and that they're the imposter in the room and so i think it's it's a healthy thing to 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 air it out A bit. You know, we actually had a conversation with our leadership team last week about, you know, a pitch that we had hadn't won during COVID, you know, and talking about what went wrong, what went wrong. You know, was it the Zoom room? Was it this? Was it that? And I was like, well, you know, I'm the one that single handedly lost it. And they were like, what What are you talking about? I'm the one that single handedly lost it. (laughs) So hopefully, you know, hopefully uh, if they hear that, they won't go, oh, shit, she's a hack. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, hopefully no.
0: there'll be that empathy but i mean no and i your- think it also
1: shows i mean i think it also shows that you care right because if you if you um maybe if you didn't feel that way then it, it was like on autopilot or you just don't care you know so mm-hmm. yeah that's that's interesting so what did they so they they other people were taking the blame for it and say no it was me and no it was Is that what happened?
0: Yeah, I think there's. You know, everyone feels in some way responsible, and then we realize that it's just a combination of all the factors. I think pitching during COVID was a really tough thing. Doing it, pitching is just a bunch of tiles to a bunch of tiles that may or may not be paying attention. Is really hard because you you lose the magic of what I think we do the best at Omelet, which is like, hey, we're we're a small indie shop, you know, we don't necessarily have the wrap sheet of other places or the big robust uh, intelligence department that can do all this for you. And like, where we you know where we shine is in relationships and in giving them that little something. In the room, and when we couldn't have a room, it was just a challenging, a challenging thing. I mean, this like what a weird ass business this is. It's like we're making art to to make business, and it's just like yeah. those two things they naturally do not connect. And so, you know, it's 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 hard when you take away the human aspect of it.
1: Yeah, and I and I think um, you know you mentioned that the you know the bunch of tiles on there. What about when the tiles don't even? turn their camera on, you know, you're, you're, you're pitching, you're pitching all these ideas that you, you know, that you work so hard on. And uh, maybe this is a topic for another show, but it's just like, really? Like you can't put your camera on. And we have people here who are, I mean, we're pitching just like we were in the room, right? We're standing up. We're um, you know, wearing our best creative director um, Mm t-shirt. And and you, you can't turn your camera on. So it's almost like we need to, Uh, I don't know do a session with clients like here's how to be a better client turn your fucking camera on if somebody's presenting some work to you that they've slaved over right
0: please turn your camera on please don't eat lunch um oh and the worst I think to me wasn't even camera off it's like we we had a pitch where they were actually in a room together so it was like pitching a c-span it's like these these little tiny ants at a table like we were basically like the security camera <laughs> looking yeah. down at like 12 socially distant bodies that you couldn't make out. You, you know, I'm trying to connect with you and tell you this idea right now. And I'm just looking at C-SPAN.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, it's really a, it's really a weird thing. So clients, if you're listening, turn <laughs> your camera off. At the end of the presentation, even if you really don't have a question, just come up with one question, make it a softball if you want. But I mean, show some engagement. Anyway, that's my public service announcement. All right. So what's what's next for you? What's what's next? Um, just you know, what are your big plans? When are when are we launching this this wine
0: um,
1: <laughs> company? But no, really, what's what's next for you? Do you feel like um, you know? Are you on the cusp of some great new sort of um, you know new inspiration, or what? You know, what are you looking forward to in this next year?
0: Yeah. I mean, actually we've got a lot of work in the hopper right now that I can't really talk about, but I'm live. Like just came from a remote edit session uh, for a brand of ours that I'm really excited about the work that's going to be coming out in August. So in the immediate future, um, there's a lot of really fun work going back to comedy, which has always been my favorite um, in order, you know, to sell great work. I just think like funny, irreverent, just relatable kooky. That's my wheelhouse right there. Like, even if I write in brand anthems, if I never had to write one again, I think I'd be happy about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, immediate future. I'm getting married next year. Looking forward Woo! to that. Push it off the COVID, but making it a reality in May. That's awesome.
1: So excited for oh, that. Good for you. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, it, it certainly has been a, a pleasure to speak with you. I, I always get, I mean what's, what's really sort of criminal about this is that I get, that I get so much out of these, these um, podcasts. Like I learn so much and, you know, and having really smart, uh, nice, funny people like you on the show just makes it, um, you know, it's just like, it's not, I get so much out of it that I sort of feel bad, but anyway, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for making this our first international episode of confessions of a creative Mm. director. Thanks for sharing um, all your window wisdom. You're not a hack. (laughs) <laughs> uh, just know that, and uh, yeah, I hope that uh, we can keep the conversation going. I hope you have a great time in Mexico, and uh, I'll look forward to keeping uh, tabs on your on your career. And uh, hopefully, we can uh, be in touch again.
0: Awesome! Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
1: Okay, excellent. Talk to you soon. Bye. And there you have it. Another episode of Confessions of a Creative Director in the Books. Thanks to my very special guest, Chelsea O'Brien, for a super awesome conversation. Wasn't that a great story? God, that's so cool. Uh, she really kind of took the bull by the horns and made it happen for herself, moving from a counselor all the way to the new director at uh,
0: one of the shops
1: in LA and working on Super Bowls. Let this yeah. song be your, so your compass Let my voice guide you back but on the so Let, smart, my so eyes, so you'll Let my arms, be your safe heart Let my love be your behavior So just a reminder to please subscribe to the podcast We just have a huge help with all your friends me. about it And, and for just sure, be subscribed because I'm I can't say <laughs> No, still don't know. Probably will never know who this band is, but thank you so much for creating the best intro to this show that I could ever have. Uh, and right now I'm going to play you out with a song that is on my second record. It's called Compass, Song I love for My Wife. And until next time, peace and creativity.